Good morning, gentlemen. Morning, guys. Good morning, guys. Last week, the government reported that during the third quarter, <clears throat> the U.S. economy grew at the fastest pace in nearly two years on a surge of consumer spending. Gross domestic product increased at an annualized rate of 4.9%, more than double the second quarter pace, according to the government. Personal spending, which is the economy's main growth engine, jumped 4%. That was also the fastest pace in two years. With the economy looking strong, why are stocks falling? And does this mean that the Fed will raise rates next month? So the primary reason why stocks are falling is because there's there's this perception out there that a stronger economy likely means the Fed has a higher probability to raise rates. But again, remember, this GDP report is looking back at the third quarter of this year, where there were a number of things that kind of boosted GDP, including government spending. If you look at our budget deficit, it's actually pretty significant at the current juncture. That actually boosted GDP a lot more than personal consumption. But there were a lot of technology companies that spent a lot of money to lay out their artificial intelligence footprint, which was also a really big boost to GDP in terms of the net business investment side of things. But what we're grappling with is an economy where um, beneath the surface, there's a lot of strength that is actually reported based off of the government data. But incrementally, on a forward looking basis, there's a lot of uncertainty going on with everything with wars on a couple different fronts and then simultaneously with some of the year end stuff that's actually coming through. So the perception is, even though what well, the narrative is that there's this probability that this really strong data is going to make the Fed hike again. But if you actually look at uh, probabilities based upon market um, implied probabilities, the Fed's not going to hike again. And realistically, inflation is probably going to tick up until the end of the year. Going into next year, housing actually becomes a headwind for inflation. So it's unlikely that housing is actually going to run away to the upside and cause the CPI to really move upwards uh, after these levels. So once we get past this upward spike in inflation that could happen for a couple months, inflation is probably going to stay high but settle back in. And the other probability, not, not probability, but the other dynamic that's actually laying out in front of us is this higher for longer interest rates. So the Fed's not going to hike again, but the Fed has to continue talking up this higher for longer dynamic, which higher interest rates, um, debt service increases, and it removes a little bit of purchasing power from the economy. So that's really the grappling thing. The market wants interest rates to go back down, but anytime you get strong data, the higher for longer uh, discussion actually continues. So that's realistically why the market is ha it's going so far back and forth on this GDP number. Absolutely right, Mike. And, you know, when you look historically, right, it's taken, you know, five to seven year cycles for inflation to really break historically. Now, we know, you know, technology uh, shortens those cycles that used to be five to seven years from now, maybe half that. But to your point, um, we are going to be higher for longer. And we go back to what we said last time, right? Since 1790, the 10 year treasury in the U.S. has averaged right around 5%, which is, you know, 10 or 11 beeps from where we're at today. And this is where we're going to be without the Fed raising rates. The geopolitical turmoil globally does put a lid on our interest rates a little bit, keeping them down. Um, you know, once the markets get used to what's going on, uh, then I think those rates will lift a little bit more naturally. Yeah, markets have to get used to this higher for longer rate thing. And the other variable is you had a hot GDP number in association with a decent amount of government spending. And now we haven't had a speaker for the, it, 
uh, Speaker of the House for the longest time period since either 1840 or 1860. There's not a lot really happening on the government level. So government spending is absolutely going to come down in the fourth quarter, which means GDP has a high probability of coming down in the fourth quarter, too. Um, and I think and no matter how you next year. Yeah. No, go yeah, ahead. That, that, no that, that was the year end dynamic that I was talking about before that I didn't get a chance to actually say. Well, one more thing. I think no matter how you look at the politics going forward, Mike, to your point about split house, right? I, I think that split government is going to be in our foreseeable future, you know, for at least four more years. Uh, no matter how you stack it up, right? It looks like things will be split. So that dynamic's here to stay. And also, the markets have, you know, are going to contend with something that, you know, has happened in the past, right? So. The, the knowns are known in that regard. Okay, so moving away from America, let's go to China. Two years ago, Chinese developer Evergrande Group defaulted, sending shockwaves around the world. And this week, an even larger real estate developer, China's Country Garden Holdings, defaulted on a dollar, dollar bond for the first time, highlighting the broad property debt crisis hurting the sec world's second biggest economy. Property and related industries make up 20% of China's GDP. China's property construction has been in a two-year slump combined with strained government finances and falling exports. China has been experiencing deflationary pressures. So will this affect the U.S. economy? So I, I don't believe so. Um, I think that if you look at our reliance upon China, uh, you know, it's gradually shrunk um, and we, we have less reliance now than we did, you know, five five years ago, let's say. Right. So um, we continue to push our chip manufacturers here. Uh, if you look at Hong Kong, even specifically the financial sector of, of China is really laying in ruin. Um, not much is going on in Hong Kong these days, which at one point was the world's fastest growing economy. So. Um, when you look at their policies, when you look at the government stimulus that they've put into the system, when you look at their pivot towards maybe spending more heavily militarily, uh, there are some substantial issues here. It should not hurt the U.S. Again, our dollar has been incredibly strong. Uh, our bond auctions uh, at these levels have been going off, you know, without a hilt. I've heard the comment before, well, what happens, you know, if China weakens and they stop buying U.S. bonds? Well, I mean, again, globally, you see the geopolitical conflicts come to light in the bond market and you have buyers uh, at the auctions overnight uh, routinely. So uh, I am not concerned about China's weak economy, uh, specifically housing spreading here. Again, we do worry about the U.S. real estate market uh, in light of higher rates, as Michael pointed out. Again, real, real estate's largely geographic. Uh, the commercial side, you know, still has some pain to go, but it looks like the larger companies, you know, are, are okay. Uh, and are doing okay, but we'll see as these higher rates for longer, as Michael pointed out too, uh, set into the picture. But I do not believe China's weakening economy would affect uh, America. And again, to that point, we made this point a couple months ago when we talked about China last. China's one-child policy is going to significantly hurt them on a demographic front. And demographics have a real lot to do with real estate. Um China has this headwind on the real estate side of everything. And I believe, Phil, you you talked about this last time. Percentage of household net wealth in China is uh, levered to real estate. It's like 70%, I think you actually said last time. Um, huge, expect, huge exposure. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, when you're looking at this, 
China's one-child policy is really going to hurt their household formation going forward. So that is a major headwind on the real estate front for them that they're going to have to contend with for a very long period of time. So this is an economic problem that's probably going to persist for a while as it pertains to China. Um, their economic data never hit um, escape velocity and their economies continued to slow. And now they're actually in deflation mode versus most other uh, developed economies, which are still to some degree fighting inflation. You know, demographics matter so much. And the same thing happened in Japan, right, in the 80s when it looked like they were going to take over the whole world. Uh, and then um, because of their demographics, aging population, et cetera, uh, they really, uh, you know, the Nikkei has never eclipsed those highs. Um, China, with that one-child policy, specifically keeping men um, down the road, uh, could be some turmoil, which from a geopolitical standpoint, right, and, and when, as you look at these wars erupting around the globe, there is some cause for concern, especially if you were, you know, the economy does go down in China and you're Chairman Xi and you're looking around the room and all fingers are going to blame you. What do you do? You know, maybe you start a conflict. So this is why the world is probably, you know, the most dangerous it's been in our careers uh, at this moment. That's an amazing point. Well, thanks, guys. That was great. <clears throat> and if you'd like to submit a question, send it to our email address, which is question at twoquestiontuesday.com, and we'll be back next week.